Good morning, everyone. Welcome. This is the day the Lord has made. We're rejoicing and glad in it. Amen. You know, the Bible says that where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. I trust that you've experienced God's presence already today in our service. Uh, welcome. And we know that God desires to meet his people at the point of their need. So reach out to him today at whatever level of need that may be for you. And you will find God faithful and his grace sufficient. Amen. All right. I'm very excited about today's uh, service. We, we are a giving church. We are, we are a church that tries to see the world through the eyes that Jesus gives us. And we want to care about the things that matter. There are only two big things in Christianity. One is to love God and love your neighbor. And the other is to love the world enough to share Jesus with them. And if you get confused about life, you're a little uh, misunderstanding of God's direction, plan for your life, will for your life. If you just rely on point, points one and two, you'll get back on your bearing. Love God, love your neighbor, share Jesus with the world. And that's our call. That's our commission. And so today I want to talk about our mission, particularly with regard to faith promise. You see an insert in your bulletin today regarding our 2020 goals for our mission giving next year. And so we want to talk about that for the next couple of weeks. I want to introduce you to a number of the missionaries that we're currently supporting. I want you to know who they are and feel as excited as I do, we do about their support and partnership. And so today I've chosen as our text from the, the book of Acts, New Testament book of Acts, chapter 11. This regards the church at Antioch, a very powerful first century church that uh, models for us in so many ways what it looks like to be on mission. And so if you have your Bibles, again, you can turn to Acts 11. We'll project the words on the screen. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so I invite you to do that as you're able Acts 11 and now verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. And remember, Stephen was the first Christian martyr. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, was there at that martyrdom, giving hearty approval to it. And so after Stephen's death, uh, the church was highly persecuted and people were scattered by that persecution. And so, and so after the death of Stephen, people traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? The Lord's hand was with them. How many of you would like to live a life with the Lord's hand with you? Oh, boy. And great numbers of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. It's the second time we find that phrase. This was a dynamic, life-transformative church, really Really exciting. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, you'll remember the Apostle Paul formerly was Saul from Tarsus. And Saul, subsequent, uh, prior to this, had actually had an encounter with the Lord. 
God knocked him to the ground on the road to Damascus, temporarily blinding him. And now for two or three years, Saul has been back in Tarsus, tent making to pay the bills, trying to sort out what God was asking him to do and, and trying to get his divine direction in place. And Barnabas, a unique figure in the New Testament church, went to Tarsus and collected Saul because Saul had a bad reputation as a persecutor. He's the enemy of the church. So folks weren't inviting him to teach in their, in their churches at the time. They, they, they were leery of him. And so Barnabas broke the ice and vouched for him and brought him to the church at Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That's an interesting historical marker, isn't it? Special place. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. May God enlighten and inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Let me talk just for a moment about faith promise. Let me give you the basic definition. I'll put this on the screen for you because I want you to feel like you've got a good concept. A faith promise offering is simply faith in God to provide an amount of money followed by a promise to give it. Paul called this the grace of giving, 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Grace is always a provision of something that we don't have. So it's, it's resource, asset, money that we don't anticipate having, and so we trust God by faith to provide it. So, so it's an act of faith. And then if God, and as God provides, we promise to give to that cause, to that need. So a faith promise offering is a commitment to give what we will trust God to provide. And as he provides it, we promise to give it. Faith in God, promise to give, faith promise. Back to our story in Antioch, this dynamic church, the Antioch church was a growing church. It was, it was um, an ambitious church. It was a, an inclusive church, Jews and Greeks, part of this church. It, it crossed cultures. It crossed all kinds of sects of the day. It was, it was a beautiful church. And it was, and it was uh, led by, at least for a period, Paul the Apostle and Barnabas. I mean, that's a pretty good pastoral staff right there. And so these folks were prospering. So they invite a guest speaker in, a guy from Jerusalem. name is Agabus. Agabus, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, while he's guest preaching at the Antioch church, prophesies to them, predicts to them that a famine is going to come to the whole region. And the believers in Antioch believe this report. And so they ask themselves, how can we be helpful to the believers in Jerusalem and Judea? And they decided we'll take up an offering. This is the first occasion that we find in the scripture in the New Testament where a group of believers in Christ in one location received an offering to benefit believers in another location. And it was actually the model of faith promise. 
And it's, it's, it's very, very dynamic. Now, this is the rest of the story. The Apostle Paul was taking notes. You know, he's growing in his sense of call and his, and his capacity to, to lead. And, of course, he goes on to uh, plant churches all over the known world in Asia Minor. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament. He's, he's a, an historic leader in the church. And so he notices what the church at Antioch does. And so everywhere he goes from then on, he develops, he expands, he encourages, he participates in faith promise. He leads this kind of activity in the churches in Galatia and Corinth and Macedonia and Rome. And all of these are evidenced by the accounts we have in the New Testament. So Paul went all in on this concept of faith promise and believers actually receiving money in one location to support believers in another location to advance the cause of Christ. And so I want you to, I want you to see this and I want you to recognize, acknowledge that this faith promise activity that we engage is a biblical concept. It's a biblical model. It's an historical model that God has used throughout, throughout the, the generations to make a difference uh, for his sake around the world. Needs were met. God was glorified. Faith was strengthened. Everybody gave thanks to God. So here's what we learned from the church at Antioch, just briefly. Each believer participated. That's verse 29. Each believer participated. Now, that's my admonition to you. Maybe you're new to the church. Maybe, maybe this is uh, something you've not practiced before, this faith promise. Uh, this is a new idea. For others of you, maybe this is something you've, been, you've done for many years. Beth and I always participate. It always encourages our faith. Uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't go without it. It's, it's just that meaningful and valuable to us. But my admonition to you is that everyone participate. What the scripture teaches us in Acts eleven twenty nine 29 is that each member of the church at Antioch participated in this special offering. Each decided, that's the, the word that's used there, that they would do this. And they followed through and did it. So it was an offering over and above local church support. They were supporting their local church in Antioch. So this faith promise was above and beyond that. It was in addition to local support. Rather than being a cash offering, it was a faith offering promising in faith to contribute a certain amount over a one-year period, which is how we practice it here, and it was given in faith. The Apostle Paul uses this agronomy metaphor later in 2 Corinthians when he says, like a farmer, trust God. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow abundantly, you'll also reap abundantly. And so he encourages people to exercise strong faith when they're believing God for these kinds of resources. And then he describes this whole process ultimately as the grace of God abounding to you. Again, as he taught the church at Corinth. So what I want to give you today is very, three very practical ways that the grace of God can manifest, will manifest in your life if you pick up this, this uh, practice of faith promise. The first is this. It's on your outline. I want you to write these down because this is how God's grace manifests in our lives through this process. First is the grace of new opportunity. New opportunity. Say every opportunity. Opportunity. Now, here's what happens. You will, you will begin to think about, maybe even plan for, ways that you can actually... Uh, Gather more resource, more asset in order to be faithful to this promise you make. For example, you might get overtime. 
and take advantage of that. Or maybe you can moonlight. You know, during the holidays, you pick up a second job and you just make a little extra money. And that's, that becomes your faith promise. Maybe there's increased business profits. This is an opportunity for you. Maybe you didn't anticipate those increased profits. And there they are. And so it's an opportunity that God will give you. So, so what, we, what we see is that people, as they begin to shift their worldview and begin to, to pray prayers that, that sound like, God, please touch my heart with the things that touch your heart. God, help me to see through your eyes. Help me to notice people the way you notice people. Help me to notice the needs around me the way you notice. People begin to pray that way and their, and their worldview begins to shift. And so their values begin to change. And as a result of that, they begin to think and they begin to be more diligent and more creative in the opportunities that God's grace may provide for them in order to further ex expand the borders of the kingdom of God. Here's the second means of grace that God uses, and it's the grace of discipline. Everyone say discipline. Discipline. Now, this, this uh, involves a change of lifestyle. Every single person in this room has, has actually practiced discipline in your life in this area. Let me tell you why. Everyone at some point goes, there's something that I like, and I would like to have it, or I would like to experience it. And there is that thing. And so I, in order for me to have that or experience that, it's going to require so much money or asset in order to acquire it or to experience it, that thing. And I know what my income is. I, I, have, a, I have an idea of my budget. And so I can't get to that thing unless I deny myself something else. So we've all practiced this. From the time you were a kid, sometimes I, I did this, you know, when I'm running a paper route, and I wanted a new bike. Like, you know, I can't spend my paper route money stopping and buying pop all the time if I'm going to save the money to buy a bike. And so I deny myself one thing, this thing, in order to get that thing. This happens in, in Christian worldview as well. We all begin to change in our worldview, and our character continues to shape and, and, and the strange thing begins to happen over time that we begin to feel the things Jesus feels. Our heart breaks with the things that breaks God's heart. And, 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 so, and so the kinds of outreach that we do matters to us. We place high value on that thing. And so this is the way Beth and I have gone through our lives with faith promise. Uh, it's not new opportunity for us. For us, faith promise is just about discipline because we highly value. And these people I'm about to introduce you to are such spectacular people and such quality people doing such strategic things in the world that you gravitate to that. You, you go, I want to partner with that. I want to be part of that. I want to, I want to, I want to get credit for that. I want, to, I want to ride that wave of what they're doing. And so in order to do that thing, value that thing, I have to deny myself of the other. And this is what Beth and I have done. About a year ago, I, we were singing songs before worship. It was this time of year when we were talking about faith promise, and I'm minding my own business, and God drops a number in my head. And the number came into my head, and I didn't like it. Didn't like it at all. It, it, made, me, uh, it made me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I felt squeezed. You ever felt that way? 
By the way, just generally speaking, if you, if you follow Jesus, you go around in, 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 in these arenas like with faith promise and that sort of thing, and you come to a moment where you go, I got a number. Boy, it's a, it's a nice number. I have a lot of peace about that. You know, I have a song in my heart. In fact, it, every time I think about that number, it just makes me want to sing. And, uh, and I, it's just uh, smooth water, you know. I'm just trusting God for that number. If, if that number has that effect on you, Jesus probably didn't have anything to do with it. The numbers that God gives me make me uncomfortable. And God dropped this number in my head a year ago, and I was immediately defensive about it. I thought, well, that's charming. That's funny. That's ridiculous. That's impossible. That can't be done. What are you talking about? Share this with somebody who actually could give that much to faith promise. (laughs) So I was all defensive because I'm just as carnal as you are. You know, my feet stink just like yours and I have the same selfish ambition that you do. And so I felt God was squeezing me. Not 10 seconds later, God is my witness. God listens to what I say. You understand I'll have to give an account for everything I've said. As God was listening, not 10 seconds later, my sweet, my sweet little wife, Beth, she leans over to me and just gently says, God just gave me the number for our faith promise next year. I went, dang it. Because I, now, a, a fully devoted follower of Jesus, sensitive to their spouse's needs and intuition and discernment, would have turned to their spouse and say something like, that's, that's wonderful, honey. I'm so glad that you have discernment. You're hearing God speak to you. Please share this faith-filled number with me so that we can walk together and share this dynamic faith journey Blah, 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 blah. But instead of saying that, I, I, I simply responded out of my f- authentic emotion. And all I said to her, and I said it with an attitude and with a tone, with a, you know, with a scowl, I said, just say it. You know, and what I was asking for was rip the Band-Aid off fast. Because, you know, if you just pull it slow, it's going to hurt more. I said, just say it. And so I brace myself and she leans over and whispers and she tells me, God's listening, tells me the identical number that had come into my head 10 seconds sooner. It was so annoying. It was so... I'm sorry to have to make this confession to you. So here's what we do. We, we, We tithe. We contribute to the general offering every week. And then in addition to that, by faith, we trust God for this other amount. And so this other amount was a big number. And it was hard for us this year because we had some extraordinary personal expenses. And we, I just didn't see how we were going to get there. And so we have to employ the grace of discipline. God, please give us grace. Because this has to go in order for us to pay that. This is not as important. This is primary. This is secondary. So, so self-denial. And over the course of the year, we collected, we added it up, and just a week ago, we paid our faith promise, paid it in full. And we're very excited about it because it's the most we've ever trusted God for, for faith promise. Now, the reason I tell you that story is so that you'll have some perspective on the journey, but also for you to know that I don't, I don't ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. That's just, the, that's just my style. 
That's how I roll as a leader. So I, so, so please don't hear me. You'll never hear me challenge you with something that I don't challenge myself with. Now, what that does right now is those that gives me authority because I can look anybody in the eye and say, are you exercising your faith? Because God is, God will give you grace. He will give you grace in your giving. He will do it. And he'll do it through opportunities. He'll do it through unusual capacity in your discipline. And the third thing is he'll give you the grace of the unusual. The unusual. Now, there's an amen that goes right after this segment. So get ready. Are, are you ready to say amen? Yeah, so get ready. Sometimes God supplies his grace in unusual ways in response to prayer. We pray because God still does the spectacular. He still does the unexpected. God still performs miracles. Amen. It's true. God breaks in, breaks upon. God opens doors. God opens the windows of heaven. He pours down upon us. We have story after story after story over the years where people just say, I wasn't expecting this. I didn't anticipate this. I had no idea this existed. And suddenly money came to me. And they, and they said, now I can fulfill my faith promise. God just dropped it on me in an unusual way. This happens all the time. It happens all the time. But listen, the only way that you can benefit from that kind of faith-building experience is to participate. Exercise your faith. Put it out there. What have you got to lose? See, this isn't a pledge you're making to the church. This is a promise you're making to God. No one's going to follow this up. If you can't fulfill the promise that you make, that's between you and God. That's your business. That's not our business. And so that's how we, that's how we manage this whole thing. We invite you into the journey of faith and, and expect that God's grace will be poured out to you so that these needs can be met. It's a great opportunity. Now, in your bulletin, as I mentioned, there's this faith promise card. We give it to you this week so you'll have a whole week to think about it, pray about it, talk to your spouse about it. All the pertinent details are here, and we'll collect these next week so, so that you'll be prepared for that. Now, you can see on the front of this that we have a, a goal for our faith promise in 2020 of $361,000. And next week, I want to talk about our church planting initiatives and, and introduce you to some of those things. Today, I just want to introduce you to the numbers of agencies and missionaries that, that we intend to support next year and are currently supporting. And I want to just let you know who they are because I, I want you to feel good about this and to be inspired by what they do in their lives. The first I want to mention is Blood and Fire. This is Bob and Stacy Ball. Stacy's here today somewhere. And Bob's slacking, I guess. I don't know where, what his problem is. He's, but they, I mean, for decades now, they have been ministering to the marginalized folks in our community. They, they make meal, meals by the hundreds and over the course of the year by the thousands. Every, once a month, they give, they give out of their food pantry. They literally offload tons of food every month to needy folks in our community. They do the Christmas store, which we help them with every year that helps uh, families who might go without Christmas otherwise, and all kinds of other programming for children and networking with other ministries in town. They do phenomenal work. Uh, we have supported them for decades and will continue to do so because we appreciate what they do and love how they do it. 
Next is Christian Ministries. Uh, they're an iconic ministry here in town who do a number of services out of their offices, and we support them. Next is First Choice for Women. This is a pregnancy care center that we've supported for many, many years. We believe in what they're doing. We, we, we believe in life. Let me, let me just say this. There are lots of accidental pregnancies. This happens all the time, happens every day, and sometimes the the timing is really bad. And so women find themselves in a situation that's very difficult. First choice is there for them, crisis pregnancy. There are lots of accidental pregnancies. Now listen to your pastor. Listen, there are no accidental children. There are no accidental babies. Not one accidental baby. Not one accidental life. God has a plan. God has a design for every life. The God we serve is the God of life. First choice supports life. We support them. That's how that works. Muncie Mission is also on our list. They're iconic in our community. Residential ministry for men in trouble. Uh, They do really good work. The Youth Opportunity Center has been on our list for a few years now. Uh, The YOC... If you're not familiar with it in our town, it is, it is a state of the art. You might even describe it as a world-class institution for troubled adolescents and teenagers. Um, it, it is a full-service kind of institution for kids, counseling services, um, um, legal processing, residential care. Uh, we have a number of connection points with members of our church, with the YOC leaders and employees there, um, and and it, they just do a phenomenal job. Counties, I don't I don't know what the current number of counties in Indiana that send their troubled teens to Muncie, Indiana, to the YOC because of the quality of service there. So we're very excited to be part of their support as well. Here are some of our missionaries. Here's Stan and Brenda Hankins. Stan has been a, a good friend for a long, long time. He, he uh, matriculates around the Pacific Rim. His home base is Hawaii. So Stan suffers for Jesus by living in Hawaii. He's got the shirt and the whole thing. That's his Hawaiian wife, Brenda. Uh, you know, you think, what a cushy job. Well, Stan's home about, home about 50 days a year. He's traveling the rest of the time. His itinerary just wears me out, but he is, he's a phenomenal leader and, um, and influences the church, as I say, in the Pacific regions, and he does great work. Next is George and Hannah Miley. Uh, George and Hannah have singularly informed my philosophy of mission. George and Hannah are the ones who taught me of the potential that a local church like Union Chapel has to make a real difference in fulfilling the Great Commission. That, they are why we're in Kazakhstan. That's, that's why we're branching out into Ecuador now, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I could spend the next three hours telling you about George and Hannah and their amazing lives and the influence that they have. So we love them. We support them. Next is Kristen and Eric Nodal. Uh, the Nodals are in our church. They work on campus at Ball State with the, with the athletic teams there. So they work with Campus Crusade crew in the Athletes in Action, and they do a great job with the athletes in the university here. Uh, and we're proud to have them in our church and glad to be part of their support. Sadiq Karawal 
is a friend that I met about 30 years ago. I met him in India, in Bombay, Mumbai. Sadiq has an amazing story. He was raised in a Muslim family. His father wasn't a mom, very hardcore Muslim. Uh, some, some young American kid in Bombay, Mumbai, many years ago when Sadiq was getting off the train, the mass transit train, was handed a gospel track by some white kid from America. And Sadiq saw what it was, read it, and was deeply offended by it. As a hardcore Muslim, he threw it in the trash and, you know, made some threatening remarks. And within a few days, now what I'm about to tell you, so this is going to tr stretch some of you a little bit, but nothing, no harm in getting stretched. Sadiq heard a knock on the door of his apartment in Mumbai, 3 o'clock in the morning. He gets up, he goes to the door, he opens the door, and it's Jesus knocking on his door, as in Jesus of Nazareth. Crucified, dead, the third day rose from the dead, took again his body, Jesus, that one. Jesus at his door. Jesus says to Sadiq, I'm calling you to serve me. I am the one you seek. I want you to spend the rest of your life telling others about me. And Sadiq went, okay, something like that. Sadiq was radically transformed. Uh, his dad disowned him. At one point, years after that, he kidnapped Sadiq, took him to an isolated location where he threatened him. They had the rope around his neck and said, if you don't renounce your faith, we're going to kill you. And Sadiq refused to renounce his faith. And his dad didn't have the heart to kill him. Pretty, ser pretty serious. When, when Sadiq's dad was on his deathbed, he called Sadiq to him. He hadn't talked to him for years because he was disowned. He called Sadiq to his bedside and he said, while I don't agree with what you believe, he said, I respect your faith. That's pretty strong, isn't it? So we've been supporting Sadiq all these years. Virtually all of the converts that Sadiq has realized over the years among the Muslims of India have been through visions or dreams. People that he shares the gospel with will subsequently have a dream about Jesus or they'll have a vision, epiphany or theophany of Jesus. They'll see Jesus, and that's how they come to faith. It's an amazing, miraculous story, and we've been part of their support for a long time. Also from India, Viju and Valsa Abraham, um, we met them the same time that I met Sadiq years ago. Viju is very bright. He networks Christian ministries, mostly in Mumbai, and smart enough that he could live anywhere in the world he wants to, but he chooses with Valsa to stay in India. It's very difficult there and continue to serve Christ there. We're proud of them. We keep supporting them. Sarah Geringer uh, is homegrown. Uh, she has family members in our church here. She's doing wonderful work in West Africa. Um, proud of her. Brett Maria Westbrook was on our team in Kazakhstan for 10 years. Uh, Brett and Maria's oldest son, Josh, actually serves on our staff right now. Josh actually prepared these slides for us. And uh, the Westbrooks are just phenomenal people. They're working with a ministry now called Crescent Project. And it's a ministry that ministers to Muslims around the world. And so we're proud to have them still in our partnership. Ron and Jean Cootie. I met Ron many years ago. He's a pastor here in Muncie in a small church. And he and his wife, Jean, felt a call to ministry to missions. Uh, they uprooted their five small children. They have, they have five boys. And at the time, they were all stair-stepped. 
grade school and younger, five sons. And they wrapped them all up and they took them to Kazakhstan. And they lived there for years. Then they were in Cyprus and they're currently in Istanbul, Turkey, serving Christ there. Ron is an apologist. He's a writer. He's a thinker. He does very strategic things in the Muslim world. When you look at their picture, you see Ron, you know, he looks like a regular guy. His wife, Jean, if you just uh, see her picture, you say, well, what a, what a beautiful woman, uh, you know, diminutive, demure, pleasant. Let me tell you something about Jean. She has a backbone made of stainless steel. Think about a mother with five small sons who would drag them into the third world. You got to have the right stuff for that. You got to have some metal. That girl, that girl has got it. You know, she comes in a room, I just go, <laughs> make sure she's not upset with me. She's great. We love, we love those guys. Next is Blake and Taylor Campbell. Blake's homegrown. You know, I dedicated Blake when he was, you know, two weeks old. And now with his wife, Taylor, they're serving with Campus Crusade in Bloomington at Indiana University there. Kim Morris, also homegrown, Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, the, you, you see a common trend here. All of these folks we have a relationship with, we share vision and values, and we believe in what they're doing. And that's the qualifier for partnership. We gotta know you, be friends with you, trust you, share motives and vision, and believe in what you're doing. So um, next is Mark and Angie Rumchick. Mark and Angie attended Union Chapel when they were students at Ball State University. Mark was a volleyball player at Ball State. Uh, back to Eric and Kristen Nodal, they led Mark to Christ uh, through their ministry with athletic teams on campus years ago. Mark and Angie were dating as students and sitting in our church, just like you are right now, years ago, and God spoke to Mark. And this is what God told him. Watch this. He said, I'm calling you to reach the National Hockey League for Christ. Now, that seems like a random, bizarre thought that might come into your head. Mark went, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm calling you to re be personally responsible for reaching the National Hockey League. Mark wasn't a hockey player. He doesn't know hockey players. <laughs> uh, you know, it was just odd. But it was so powerful, so real to him that he kept that. He got married with, to Angie. They moved to Fishers and started doing high school ministry there for a few years and then uh, got relocated to East Lansing in Michigan to a high school there. And shortly after he arrived, he discovered that this is the particular high school in the United States where all of the elite high school hockey players in the United States go for uh, participation in the United States junior hockey team, the national team, and this is where they go, and they train year-round, and they go to high school in this particular high school. They live in host homes, and Mark and Angie became a host home, and so all these years they have one of these kids living with them, and that picture that you see in the upper right, this is from the first year that they were there, and Mark began a Bible study with these guys, and, and it caught on, and you see the picture of nine of them in that particular evening. This was the night 
that they had, Mark had them in his home, which he does every week. He's still doing this now with these elite, these hockey guys. And, and this was the day that he bought them all Bibles and gave them their first Bibles and all of them deciding to follow Jesus. This is amazing. Now that five or six years have passed, a lot of these kids have been drafted and are now playing in the National Hockey League. Mark is developing other relationships with other professionals in the league who are Christians and who can share their testimony. And so Mark's new job now under the auspices of Athletes in Action, Campus Crusade, is he's the national director of outreach to the National Hockey League. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. That's where he clapped because that's a remarkable story. That's, that's really something. I just, I just had lunch with Mark about, uh, about a month ago, and now there are two teams uh, that are congregating there, these, these junior team members, and he said there's about 19 total now of these guys, and he said 13 of them come to his house every week for Bible study and discipleship. <laughs> what is going on? Amazing. Next is Scott and Trish Castor. Uh, Trish is homegrown. Trish's family's in our church. Her parents are here. And she and Scott have been working with Campus Crusade in East Asia. They were in China until they got kicked out of China. Now they're working uh, in the United States and doing effective um, management ministry for crew. Jeff Mosier is the local Fellowship of Christian Athlete Director. Jeff and I have been buddies for many years. I got much closer to Jeff last year. I was on the steering committee for the Tim Tebow, Tebow event last year. And so I spent a lot of time with Jeff and really got to appreciate his heart and passion. And he's really doing effective work here in the local area with high school students and FCA. I, I, got, him, I got close enough to him to find out how much uh, he was behind in his personal support racing. And uh, so that's why we put him on the list because he needs help. So we were, we're helping him and we're happy to do it. He's great. Next is Steve and Miriam Unangst. Uh, Steve is the guy who blazed the trail for Union Chapel into Kazakhstan 20 years ago. He's the guy who, who got his passport in order, threw a backpack on his back, and, and walked into Central Asia, Kazakhstan, and forged a contract, a medical contract, with a local hospital in order to get visa status in this Muslim culture. Steve is a cowboy. He's a pioneer. He, he is a trailblazer. Uh, about 10 years ago, he met Miriam somewhere out there in the mission field. Miriam grew up in Iran in a Christian home in Iran. Her mother was a Christian and led she and her two sisters to Jesus when they were girls. And so Steve found Miriam, and Miriam is an angel. She is, I mean, you see her picture there. She's just, she's just this beautiful um, angelic thing. How Steve got her to marry him, I have no, I have no idea. This is, th look at that picture. This is the grace of God I was talking about earlier. This is a miracle. God does unusual things. <laughs> now, Steve, Steve is great. They're living in the nation of Georgia right now, working with a, a, a mission agency called Frontiers, who do work among Muslim cultures. Steve, Steve uh, trains and develops leaders to become team members in Muslim cultures. Phenomenal ministry, very strategic. Next is Laura and Andrew Sapp. Laura's homegrown girl. Her parents are in our church. She works with InterVarsity at the University of Michigan. Scott and Michelle Harris. Uh, Scott was a student at Ball State years ago and 
We appreciated his passion for the world. He married Michelle. They adopted these two kids. They now work with InterVarsity in France, still plugging away for Jesus. Dave and Teresa Knaus actually led our team in Kazakhstan for over 10 years. Uh, they're off the field now. They're living on the West Coast. Dave and Teresa now oversee a ministry called Life Impact. This is a series of homes, uh, retreat centers around the world where missionaries come when they come off the field to recover and get restoration. It's a beautiful, powerful ministry, and they're perfectly suited for it. We're part of their support. Terry Takel is an apostle of prayer. He, for years, he was a pastor of a local church. I met Terry many years ago, and God used the encounter that I had with Terry and the relationship, friendship that we built. God used that relationship to save my life and save my ministry. I would not be here today if it weren't for the ministry that Terry Takel offered to me personally. And so he is important to me. That's why he's on the list. He's a lifer now. As long as I'm here, he gets supported. <laughs> what do you play favorites? Yeah. yeah that's right. Listen, if you want to play favorites, get your own church, organize your own faith promise, get some money together, decide how to spend it. Knock yourself out. Have a great time. But Terry's great. He's amazing. Uh, next is Dan, Dan and Sherry Miller. Um, we've just met the Millers in the last couple of years. Sherry's a homegrown girl. Her parents are from Muncie. Sherry grew up here. They've been on furlough here for the last uh, few months, and they've been attending one of our small groups. Dan and Sherry have a ministry to indigenous leaders in the, in the nations of North Africa. Um, and I can't say much more about that just for security reasons. Very strategic very dangerous, um, very special. So we, we are part of their support. Uh, next is Matt Nokus. Matt, um, with his wife Leah, Matt works with YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And this building that you see in the background is a bread factory, which Matt raised money for and built in, now follow this, in North Korea. Matt regularly goes into North Korea he employs 150 North Korean women in this bread factory. They feed about 600 North Koreans every day out of this bread factory. We help them build this building. And how Matt has stayed out of trouble going in and out of North Korea, doing what he does is amazing. I asked him, I said, how, why aren't you, you know, breaking rocks on some hillside in North Korea in a gulag somewhere? And he said, God protects me. Will you pray for Matt? Yeah. So he's, he's one of our guys, and we, we just admire him. Now let me just uh, end with, with the Pardos. Ricardo and Perry Pardo, we met about a year ago, and they're the ones uh, serving in Ecuador. They're here this weekend, and I, I want you to get acquainted with them. They have a friend whose name is Carol Batten, and she's part of their board, and so that she's visiting as well, and we've enjoyed having them this weekend. And we've prepared a video that better summarizes what the Pardos are doing in Ecuador. I want you to see it. Check it out. I don't have to walk on the Bible and impress your people. I have to let them know how much God loved me and how much he did in my life. Your testimony, your testimony. and your excitement, your excited will change people's life. Yes. So we've been told we're crazy and we're okay with that. 
We've grown into it. It is the way we live and it's an adventure every day. And really, it is nothing better to be in crazy because you feel less. We are doing street ministry all the time. We're either in people's homes um, or we're in the street doing ministry. We started a feeding program. There's a lot of um, homeless people as well as refugees from Venezuela. And we do ministry when we're there. We talk to them. We, we always pray with them and we do altar calls all the time. We've had over 500 baptisms since just in eight months. Yeah. God has opened doors and and favor he has bestowed favor on us that we still stand back sometimes and go i did not see that coming he's provided opportunities for us that so many people will say and oh, they're never going to let you in there you're never going to talk to that person the government's not going to accept you they're oh, I mean, we're told no all the time but ev God, all we do is say well we're going to try and god does it and then we're like that was him. That was so cool. It's grown exponentially in such a rapid rate that we just can't do it all by ourselves. I mean, we don't do anything without a couple hundred people showing up, and that's on a low day. So we've the church planting wasn't the primary focus of the ministry in the beginning, but now it has become the primary resource. We have to raise up leaders and disciple them in order to keep up with the growth. Because, because we're relational, we can't just have a room full of people, even if it's a thousand people, and have them go home and not see them again until next Sunday. We can't do that. We're not wired that way. So yeah. we need help. We need help. So that's why we do what we do right now. We, are, we like to follow up and be with the people, eat what they eat, sit down what they sit down. For us, it's really important to raise a leadership, raise some pastors, mm -hmm. and build some churches because the community is a really far away. And, and they're being saved and baptized and just forget about them and leave them alone. We have to raise a leader and plant a church in this 32 community. Every community has its own place where it can go. They, they don't want, have transportation. Because they say, okay, like where are you located? Well, we are far away from that. We say, I can never make it. So we have to plant churches. Ricardo was raised in Cuba and very difficult circumstances, got caught up in the gang, gang culture, drug culture, eventually migrated to the United States where Jesus saved his soul. And he's a firebrand. You know, the Bible says the one who's forgiven much, loves much, he's on fire. He met Perry about 10 years ago. They got married. Perry's the perfect balance for, 
for Ricardo, because Ricardo is fearless. That may be one of the irrefutable lessons of life. It's good to be crazy because it makes you fearless. Someone's got to quote that somewhere. That's, that, that, that's, that's probably true. And so we're really proud of what they're doing. Obviously, the Lord's hands with them. You know, we talked about that being true in the Antioch church. Obviously, God's using them in a powerful way. So we're going to do a short-term trip to Ecuador this coming summer. Maybe you're interested in going. If you are, we're going to have a, a meeting about that at 1 o'clock, so right after the service here at 1 in the auditorium, in this building right across from the Welcome Center in the auditorium, and you can get better acquainted with the Pardos and learn more about the trip this summer. It's a, it's a great opportunity, and we hope to get a dozen or so people, maybe more, together to go on this trip. And listen, uh, if, 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 if you're an adult person, you're qualified to go. I just had someone in their mid-70s ask me at the door, am I too old to go? And I said, absolutely not. And so if you're interested, that interest meeting will be at 1 o'clock today. So one more time, this uh, insert with the faith promise is in your hands, and I hope you'll take it home and prayerfully consider it. Next week, we'll talk about the church planting initiatives we're doing here and there, and I hope that it inspires you and encourages you to decide to take up uh, participation in the faith promise. Uh, you won't regret it. God uses it. Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, this morning we thank you for this amazing story coming from the church at Antioch, how your hand was with them, your grace was flowing. This is the first place Christians in one place supported Christians in another. What an amazing thing. So now, as you extended your grace of giving to the, to the church at Antioch, may you extend that same grace to us. Help us, Lord, to follow you faithfully and trustingly. So in all these things, Lord, we pray that your name would be lifted up, becoming more famous and more followed here and there. Bless our missionary friends and all of these uh, special people locally who, who serve in these organizations and agencies that make a difference in so many lives. So we give this hopeful future to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.